All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I am super excited because we have an absolute rock star on the line this week. Now, I know I say that about every guest Mm -hmm. every week, but this person actually is when it comes to, to this topic here. A little bit about this person. He's the education manager at JPS Health and Fitness. Uh, he's super qualified. He's got a Bachelor of Science in, in, in Exercise Science. He's an accredited sports nutritionist. I believe he's currently doing his PhD. He's trained numerous people to compete in all sorts of physique and bodybuilding competition. Does a lot of work with the general public as well. Um, he's an international speaker. And in my opinion, he's probably, the not probably, he is the best and one of the most qualified people in the world to speak about resistance training and muscle building. So, Without further ado, let me introduce the one and only Mr. Martin Rafalo. Martin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Jono, for that introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to our discussion today, and I can't wait to get into it. Yes, me too. And just for everyone listening, um, me and Martin were both presenting at uh, at X-Pro in Singapore. I attended his session, and it was the best session I've ever heard on on resistance training. So I'm super excited to to talk to him here. Just before we get into the topic, Martin, do you want to let our listeners know a little bit about what it is you do there? Yeah, for sure. So I guess a little bit about me. I've been resistance training myself for over 10 years. I started back when I was five, 16. When you're, five, when you're five, right? You've been doing it. But... <laughs> no, no. When I was about 15, 16, started at my uh, local gym. I wish I started when I was five years old. Mm. Um, the, the early, the better. But uh, yeah, started my local gym and eventually got a job there. And that's what eventually has inspired me to then take on personal training and become a coach. You know, I do see myself now as a coach. I I don't try to identify as a you know specific bodybuilding coach or a physique coach just a coach and I work with a wide range of clients. I've been doing so for seven to eight years now. I started off at a commercial gym, um, taking sessions, you know, week to week and trying to build myself up and eventually got a job at JPS Health and Fitness, which is still my current workplace. So I've been working at JPS for over five years now. And my current role is the education manager. So I monitor um, the education that, uh, you know, is being provided to our coaches. And I also play a large role in distributing education to other coaches external of JPS via our courses and, you know, seminars that we conduct at conferences, for example. And uh, like Jono mentioned, over the past probably nine years, so since I, I left school, um, I have been studying. So I, I've been in university um, since I, I graduated high school. I did a bachelor's degree in exercise science. I then pursued uh, a master's degree. And now I'm I'm currently um, in the process of completing PhD. And my primary area of, of interest and my primary area of research is muscle hypertrophy. And specifically, wow. I'm looking at how Certain variables in resistance training can influence muscle hypertrophy. So, for example, our proximity to failure, like how hard we are pushing sets. I want to know 
more about that. And I want to fill a lot of the research gaps. And hopefully, you know, my goal is to simply improve the validity of research studies looking at resistance training outcomes in the long run and be able to discern practical recommendations that I can then distribute to the public and that I know will have an impact on their on their progress. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. And like I said earlier, um, although I I coach, you know, bodybuilders and although I uh, study muscle hypertrophy and proximity to failure specifically, I don't identify as being a specific expert in, in the one area. Uh, that is obviously my primary interest, but I'm interested in all things training and nutrition. And I'm looking forward to having this this discussion. Yes, me too. And I'll just I'll just share with the listeners something I really like about Martin's style as well. He's obviously very educated, as you can tell from from what he's mentioned there. The way he explains it is also broken down very simple. Like I find a lot of people that have done a lot of study, done a lot of um, education, the way they explain things is just so complicated and you walk out more confused than anything. The way mm-hmm. Marlon explains things, you can tell he's he knows exactly what he's doing, but he's able to simplify it right down. Um, just before we get into it, Martin, if someone's listening to this, they're like, okay, this guy's the stuff. I want to follow him, follow him on, yeah. on socials. Where do we go to follow you and JPS? Yep. So best place to follow me is probably Instagram, um, MR Fitness, or just uh, search my name. I'm sure it'll pop up. And also the JPS Health and Fitness accounts. And if you're interested in education, check out the JPS Education account, specifically on Instagram. Um, You'll find a lot of our content there and a lot of information about our upcoming courses as well. Awesome. I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, Let's dive into it. So your presentation in, in Singapore, Martin, you asked this question. There was a room of PTs. There were, you know, mm-hmm. 15, 20, 25 PTs there. Martin asked this question and everyone kind of gave a blank look like, do I really know? Do I not know? And it's a question that, you know, I think most, per- the general public should assume that a personal trainer should be able to answer it straight away. Let's start there, Martin. What was the question and what's the answer? Well, that question, I think I asked two questions. I think the first question I asked was, how does resistance training work? And then the follow-up question was, well, how does muscle grow? And I think these are such fundamental questions Mm. that I think all exercise professionals should have a clarified answer to before trying to take the next step and, and focus on, you know, more advanced concepts. So I think it's very easy for exercise professionals these days to get caught up in the advanced concepts and all the nuance without addressing the fundamental questions first. They bypass those fundamental questions. And I think there is a lot of information out there. We all know that. And some information surrounding resistance training strategies can actually send you in the opposite direction and give you the impression that what you are doing is the right thing, right? To build muscle. When in fact, it may actually be counterproductive. And if you have a clarified answer to these fundamental questions, you're going to be better able to audit the information that is presented to you. And you're going to be able to decipher and work out you know, what information you should actually take on and label as true and what information you should be quite skeptical about and potentially wait for you know, new research and new evidence to come forth before you take it on and label it as true. So I don't, I think it's so important that we, we focus on these fundamental questions first and then move on from there. So when I asked those questions, 
to a room of excise professionals, I really do expect, you know, someone to put their hand up and give me a clarified answer. But like you said, Jono, the room was almost silent. And of course, I'm sure that everyone in that room would have had some sort of an understanding as to how Mm -hmm. things work. But what I find with a lot of uh, individuals and a lot of students is they struggle to connect the dots Mm -hmm. and then convey the information in a simple and easy to understand way. And of course, you may have heard the phrase, you know, think coach, speak client. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds so simple, but again, I think it gets bypassed. We get very caught up in thinking as coaches and trying to have the most nuanced understanding, but then forget that most of our clients don't really care too much about what we know. They care a lot about how we teach them and how we can connect with them and how we can get them results. So my goal is to learn as much as I can about these topics that I'm interested in, but then also be able to distill that information, distribute it not only to coaches, but also to my clients who you know have no idea how muscle grows, but hopefully after a 30 minute session with me, they can walk out the door being like, okay, now I understand the big rocks and this is what I really have to focus on to at least make some progress. So that's the way uh, my thinking um, works surrounding this topic. Awesome. And what's what's the answer? How does muscle what's grow? The what is, and what is resistance training? Let's get into it. So the way I explained it in that presentation was that as humans um, living on planet Earth, we're constantly having to overcome some level of gravitational force, mm. right? And what people don't understand or some people struggle to understand is that our musculature is constantly under at least some tension throughout the day. And so the processes that govern muscle hypertrophy are constantly occurring within us, but only to a level that would really allow us to maintain muscle mass as healthy adults. And to then take it further from there, we have to expose ourselves to the stimulus of resistance training because resistance training provides us with a greater external force that we need to overcome. And as such, that means our muscles will be under more tension. And those same processes that govern muscle hypertrophy will be elevated, right? So it's important to understand that when we are resistance training, there is a whole host of intramuscular things that happen that act as stimuli for the adaptations we experience. So adaptations, I'm I'm speaking here about physiological adaptations. They can be short-term, they can be be long-term. So an adaptation, for example, could be uh, a simple example. A short-term adaptation could be the temperature in the room decreasing. We get really cold and so we start shivering, right? That is an adaptation to a change in core body temperature due to changes in the external environment. Now, in our context, we're interested in the long-term adaptation of muscle hypertrophy. So we need to try and pinpoint the exact stimulus that our muscles are experiencing when we're, res- when we're resistance training that eventually promotes those physiological processes that will increase hypertrophy over time. And so our current understanding of how this works, which has evolved over years, so for example, in 2010, uh, Brad, Brad Schoenfeld published a, a paper, a prolific review paper, and he proposed that there were three main stimuli during resistance training 
that would promote and contribute to muscle hypertrophy. So the, the first one is mechanical tension, muscle damage, and metabolic stress. Now, since then, our understanding has evolved. And what we can currently say is that mechanical tension has the most potent and primary influence on those processes, those physiological processes that govern muscle hypertrophy. And we can think of mechanical tension as that tension I described earlier. When our muscles have to oppose an external force, they create tension, and that tension is then able to signal the processes necessary for the muscle to grow, right? So that adaptation of, of muscle growth is almost a protective mechanism. So when we first start training, so let's say we have an untrained individual walk through the doors of the gym and they start lifting weights, right? Their muscles are experiencing a tension stimulus that they have never experienced before. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a whole lot of things happening within their muscle cells um, that cause damage, right? That cause disruptions in homeostasis. And so it's going to take a while for them to recover. Now, one of the adaptations that your body experiences to try and decrease the chances of homeostasis being disrupted to the great to, to that same extent next week when we come back into the gym is simply an increase in muscle size, right? So as you continue training and as the training process prolongs and you get more experienced, your muscles start to grow. They start to tolerate the stimulus of resistance training uh, better. And you could imagine that same session that an untrained individual would have completed in their first you know, session of their training career in six months time, if they completed that same session, they wouldn't get sore, it would be easy, and it wouldn't be sufficient to promote any adaptations. That's probably because their muscles have gotten much larger. And so over time, you have to increase the level of that mechanical tension stimulus so that you're, you're giving your reason, you're giving your musculature right, a reason to adapt and to grow. So that's that's... I think to some extent, a simple explanation with some added complexity as well. Mm. Let's go. So I think that's great for the trainers. Now I'm going to ask you the same question, Man, but a little bit differently. If you were to explain both of those in say one or two sentences to a client that's seeing you for the, the first time, they said, Hey, how does resistance training work? What would you say in one or two sentences? How does muscle grow? What would you say in one or two sentences? Yeah. So this is a conversation that I have almost on a weekly basis with clients. So the way I would explain to a client is that you need to walk into the gym and you need to somehow give your muscles a reason to adapt, which means you have to place your muscles under tension. You have to be lifting a sufficient load. You have to be pushing your sets close enough to failure. And you have to be doing enough training over time to give your reason, to give your muscles that reason that they need to adapt. Now, what happens when your muscles experience that sufficient tension that they need is the processes inside, the physiological processes start to kick in, right? And we have an increase in, in uh, protein building within the muscle. So the proteins really start to build within the muscle. And when we combine that with a sufficient nutrition intake, nutritional intake, when we're eating enough protein, over time, we do that sufficiently enough and consistently enough over time, we're going to experience muscle growth, right? So that would be a very simple explanation that starts to put some pieces of the puzzle together for the client, okay? They know they have to be lifting weights with sufficient enough volume, right? They have to be pushing those weights, um, those sets close enough to failure. They need to be eating enough protein as well. And all of these variables combined will eventually lead to more muscle growth over time.
Love that. Now, in your Singapore presentation, Martin, you then kind of went into, all right, here's how you can maximize if you, um, someone's training, he's a can maximize hypertrophy and you broke it down really well. Now we obviously can't get into everything here. Mm-hmm. I recommend if, if the listeners are interested, go and follow Martin on Instagram, go and take some JPS mm-hmm. courses. I'm sure it's covered in a lot of detail there, mm-hmm. but the overview that you gave was kind of like, right. You know, we look at it firstly per rep, you know, how can yep. we get, um, how can we make sure every rep we're doing as much as possible to build muscle? Mm-hmm. Then you're like, all right, that's good. But how can we make sure that each set we're doing as much. Mm-hmm. Then you said, all right, that's good. You know, we're doing the, the the sets. What about the workout? And then what about like the program or the meso cycle? Do you want to give us maybe one tip for for, for each one of those mm-hmm. as, as we go through? Let's just start from the top. Like, and I think reps, you went into the most detail. You gave us like 10 different things you can do mm-hmm. to make sure that you get the most out of your reps. But if you had to pick one or two, mm-hmm. what would you yeah, say yeah. is the most important thing when it comes to the actual rep? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think firstly, the reason it's important to look at programming for hypertrophy through this lens is because we first need to determine what we're trying to achieve on a macro scale and then reverse engineer from there so that we can then determine, you know, what are the big rocks that we need to focus on uh, to get the results we want? When should we focus on them? And how do they change based on individual context? And I think it's important to understand that Being hyper-focused on any one of these variables is probably one of the best ways to bottleneck your long-term progress. So I think it's important to realize that all training variables have their place and all of the subsequent things that I discussed, you know, have a place and they all need to be applied to a sufficient enough extent to get the best long-term results. So again, I think it's very easy for people to get caught up and being hyper-focused on one specific thing. And then they start to forget about the importance of other other variables. And they forget that all these variables are actually interacting anyway, right? So any specific decision I make, not only do I need to be concerned about the outcome of that decision, but I need to understand how that decision will affect other decisions I've already made in the program and future decisions that I'm probably going to need to make. So I think when you look at it through this lens and we break it down and we think about how we can maximize the stimulus for muscle hypertrophy on the level of of each rep we perform, the level of each set, session, week, mesocycle, et cetera, we start to build a really clear picture of how a program should look. So for example, Jono, if we were thinking about how things work on the level of repetition, of course, there's many exercises we can choose to perform and it should be in our best interest to choose exercises that suit the individual and that place the target musculature under you know direct tension we're trying to choose exercises that will direct tension to the target muscle and there's certain ways in which we can we can do that so for example we could i could write on a program split squat and i could have a client do a split squat but I could then change the split, split squat to make it more focused on the quads. So I could direct more tension to the quads or I could change it in a way, change the technique in a way that biases that tension towards the glutes. So what I'm trying to get at here is you should have a specific goal with each mm-hmm. exercise you choose to select and a specific goal with the way you choose to execute those exercises, understanding that you know the technique can have a large impact on how tension is directed. And when I speak about technique, I'm I'm thinking about things like range of motion. I'm thinking about the stability 
of the exercise, right? How much stability does an exercise come with? You can easily compare, for example, a split squat, right? The stability that you get performing a split squat versus like a hack squat or a leg press. In in a hack squat and a leg press, you have no balance issues. You have no coordination issues. Both of your feet are planted. And so the external stability that these machines provide are arguably very, very important for muscle hypertrophy, right? That stability is arguably very important for muscle hypertrophy. And that's not to say that a split squat can't be used to build muscle, but it's just me trying to consider the pros and cons of each exercise and the features and demands of each exercise, and then employing these exercises on an as-needs basis based on what I think that client needs. So I think that that's one of the first things we can consider mm-hmm. on the level of the rep, because if if the reps aren't being performed well, there's no specific goal and direction behind the reps and people are walking to the gym and just, you know, lifting their arms to the side with, with dumbbells just for the sake of it, just because they've seen someone else do it. That's probably going to be a bottleneck to long-term success. And you can't really take that next step forward if the mm-hmm. reps aren't in a good place to begin with. So once you've sorted out the reps and, and how reps are being performed, et cetera, you can then move on to a set because the reality is we can't perform reps forever, right? There's going to be a point <laughs> where we experience fatigue, right? I'd love to be able to just get my whole workout done in, you know, just one big set, right? That would be ideal, but we have to break our training up into sets. And like I said, that is due to the fact we experience fatigue when we perform these repetitions. Now, Considering that, it should be in our best interest to then try and get the most out of each set performed. Now, one of my main concerns is that in the fitness industry is that people are walking into the gym, performing what they think are effective sets, what they think are sets that that are going to get them close to their results, and they're under the impression that they are getting close to 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 the results they want. But in reality, they could be doing much more And what they may be doing is actually counterproductive. And this can kind of fall on two ends of the spectrum. So some people either go into the gym and always do as many reps as they possibly can. They're always trying to, they're always trying to push to failure, right? And on the other hand, we have other people who simply don't push close enough to failure, right? Who don't have a, uh, a robust understanding of this concept that I'm about to describe. And so they're just performing repetitions till they get to 10 reps because 10 reps is a round number. It's a good number. And we see it in a lot of fitness magazines, you know, three sets of 10, but maybe they could have done 16 reps. Maybe they Mm. could have done 17 reps, right? Maybe 17 reps was their failure point. And so even if they did an extra three or four reps and stopped just shy of that failure point, they'd be getting a lot more than just stopping at 10 for the sake of it. So when we're looking at each set performed, we need to consider our proximity to failure. And I think a really critical concept to to get your head around is the fact that it's not necessarily the number of reps that we perform, Mm. which is important. It's the number of reps we're performing relative to the maximal number of reps we could possibly perform. Mm. And we can quantify that as our proximity to failure. Right. So at the end of the day, I don't care if my clients do nine reps or seven or eight or 11. I don't care if it's an odd number. I don't care if it's an even number. I just care about how close they are to that point of failure because that can help me quantify the stimulus that they're experiencing within the set performed. 
but also the fatigue that they're experiencing and how that fatigue may affect subsequent sets and subsequent workouts, right? So understanding proximity to failure can provide us with a much better understanding of the quality of the session and also the cost of that session, right? If I do a really hard session today and I'm pushing a lot of my sets close to failure, well, I might need a rest day tomorrow or I might need two rest days before I train the same muscle group again. Whereas if I'm not pushing very close to failure, maybe I don't need as much rest in between sessions. That's just a, a brief example of how we can apply this concept and how this concept does have some some level of, of utility when we are programming. Now, once we've clarified you know, how to maximize the stimulus we achieve in a given set, right? And we understand proximity to failure and we know that we don't have to train to failure in each set, but we have to be close enough to, to achieve the response that we're after. We can then think about how these sets interact over the course of a whole session, right? So when we're looking at, at a whole session, you could imagine someone who's been training for 10 years, if, if they just walked into the gym and did one set, right, for their whole session or two sets, that's probably not going to be a sufficient stimulus for them to experience hypertrophy. They're not going to grow from that. So over the session, we need to consider the amount of volume we're performing. So how many sets are we performing over the whole session? And it's important to know that there seems to be diminishing returns, right, to the relationship between set volume and muscle hypertrophy. So what this means is that doing over the course of a week, for example, doing 30 sets for a given muscle group may give you the same response as doing 20 sets mm. for that same muscle group. And so you're doing an extra 10 sets for the That's same nothing. response, but mm. you're also getting a lot more stress and fatigue. So what I suggest is starting off with a fairly low to moderate level of set volume within each session, spreading it accordingly over the week and making sure that each of your reps and each of your sets are quote unquote effective based on the things I'm speaking about so that you can get the most out of the volume you're performing. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. They're not nailing their reps. They're not nailing their sets. And so they find themselves having to do more volume to mm. make up for that, right? So you can always do more volume. You can always do more sets. And some people have to do that because they're simply not getting the most they possibly could out of each set, right? So it's really important to understand how these variables interact. And like I said, over the course of the whole week, well, we have a choice, right? We can choose to train a muscle group once a week. We can choose to train it twice a week, three times a week, etc. And I think it's a good idea for most people to think about training muscle groups more than once a week so that they can spread their volume evenly across the week, across the week for a given muscle group. So for example, instead of doing 20 sets for my chest today, I can do 10 sets a day, maybe 10 sets in another three days. And you could imagine, Jono, how my performance, right? And my ability to acquire effective training volume would be much greater splitting 20 sets over two sessions, as opposed to doing it all in the one session 100%. where you have a massive cloud of neuromuscular fatigue just growing as a session extends and affecting your ability to maintain technique, affecting your ability to produce force and to do all the things that we need to be doing, right? To maximize the effectiveness of that session. So that's where weekly frequency comes into play. And then when you think about how things work over the course of a whole training program, 
And there's no specific length that a training program needs to to go for. You can run a training program for five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, et cetera. It all really depends on a whole host of factors and individual context. But really what's most important is that over the course of a program or what is usually known as a mesocycle, what's most important is that we are experiencing progressive overload Mm -hmm. as the weeks go by. And a lot of people think that they have to walk into the gym and force this progressive overload. They have to put five kilos on the bar each week, or they have to do one or two reps. And it's not that you have to do it. It's that you should be able to do it if you have adapted to last week's session, right? If you have actually performed an effective session last week, and that's promoted the adaptations that we're after. So our muscles have grown a little bit. We've gotten a little bit stronger. You should be able to walk into the gym the week after, maybe two weeks after, and do more reps. You should should be able to add a few kilos to the bar, right? So it's not a forced means of progressing the load of progressing the reps. It's just a natural progression, right? So what I'm trying to get at here is we should be observing progressions in performance as a result of the prior adaptations we have experienced, right? And I think that's the sign of a that's a sign of a of a very well written program and a well executed program. Right. With a lot of my clients, I'm not needing to force them to add weight to the bar. They're doing so because they feel stronger, because mm-hmm. they've grown some muscle over the past month or the past weeks, and they're able to naturally progress their training. And over the course of a whole mesocycle, that's a very effective way to track whether we are heading in the right direction or not. So that is my, you can almost call that a framework of thinking when it comes to programming for hypertrophy, you know, on a, on a fairly basic level. And of course, some of these concepts can be taken further, but I hope the listeners can take a lot away from that. Wow. Amazing. I haven't got so much out of it again, listening it to there. I'll, yeah. I'll share kind of my summaries and my biggest takeaways and just make sure I've even got my head around it. So if we break down those four things, like we started with the rep, the what my take from that Martin is really know each exercise, know like why you're programming that exercise, know how to um, change that exercise that may change the focus a little bit. And there could be like, there's so many exercises that are in a way similar, but then they're completely different based on stability or or how you do them. In sure. terms of then when we went to set, um, my biggest take, and I'll just clarify a few things there. My biggest takeaway there is it's not so much about hey you got to do eight to 12 reps, and that's what you're going to do for hypertrophy. It's more about proximity to failure. And there's kind of two things. If you're too, I'll just try and give a simple example here. Let's say mm-hmm. uh, I'm on the bench press and let's say I do a hundred kilos, for example, right? Let's mm-hmm. say um, I could, let's say my failure was, let's call it 10 reps to keep it easy. Mm-hmm. And let's say I only got to five reps. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, or let, no, let's, let's even go easy. Let's say I, I went to seven or eight reps. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's example. Let's say five reps, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Right? You'd probably be like, well, Johnny, you're probably a bit too far away from, from mm-hmm. failure there. You'd probably want to do a few more reps. On the flip side, if I went to, if I, if my failure was 10 and I went to 10 every single time, that probably wouldn't be a good thing because I'd burn out straight away. Is that what we're saying there? Each rep would want to be or each set would want to be a few reps away from mm-hmm. from failure. Is that what you're saying with that side of things? Correct. And I kind of disagree with the last thing you said. You said you, you I would do 10 reps on each set, but the, mm. it, the issue is you wouldn't be able to do 10 reps on each set gotcha. because reaching failure would mean you do 10, 8, 6, 4, 3. So, gotcha. so the reps would drop off drastically from set to set. 
And it's likely a good idea to try and maintain to some extent the number of reps you're performing across sets and not see such a massive reduction. Um, and that's the issue. That would be the issue if you were training to failure on every single set. So it's it's likely best to try and find a sweet spot, which might be a few reps shy from failure. And of course, that doesn't mean you never train to failure, because if you don't train to failure, you won't actually know when, where that sweet spot is. Mm. So for example, if you're doing three sets, you might try and keep a few reps in the tank on the on the first two sets and then push to failure on the last one to see exactly where you're at. Because of course, after the last set, you're not performing another set for that exercise. And so the consequences of fatigue are a lot less. That is a good idea. Um, okay. Then we went to the workout side of things. The kind of message there was more volume is not always better. You kind of said, hey, if you can do just, if you can do get a similar result in 20 sets than you can 30 mm -hmm. sets, why would you do 30 sets? It's almost a waste mm -hmm. of time. You may even be doing damage because mm -hmm. it's going to take you longer to recover and then you Correct. can't train it again. You could have spent time doing maybe another body part in, in that mm -hmm. time there Correct. instead of doing it. So it's like, and if you are going to do that, what you would do is spread it out. Use the example there. Well, let's just use, you know, bench press again. Let's say I do, um, you know, 20 sets of, 20 sets of, of um, chest, mm -hmm. for example, like, man, those last 10 sets are probably mm -hmm. going to be rubbish for me. It's probably going to be barely mm -hmm. even worth doing it. But let's say mm -hmm. I did, you know, 10 sets on Monday and then I did my other 10 sets on Friday. Mm -hmm. Those 10 there on Friday would be way better than if I did mm -hmm. them on Monday. That's essentially Correct. what you're saying there, right? Exactly. I think that's a really important concept to grasp. And I think most people could probably get away with doing less volume than what they are currently doing mm. and still get a really good result if they place a little more emphasis on the variables that will increase the effectiveness of the reps they're performing and the sets they're performing. Awesome. And with the, the meso cycle, the kind of takeaway message there was if you're doing those three things above properly, you're doing the reps, right? You're doing the sets, right? You're doing the, the workout, right? There should be progressive overload that happens kind of naturally. And I mm -hmm. think you used an example in Singapore as well, where you kind of said, you know, hey, if I did the exact same weight now that I did, you know, two weeks ago or four weeks ago or whatever, um, but it felt easier, is that progressive overload? And the answer mm -hmm. is in a way, yes, right? Or what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, my take on that would be that you have experienced some adaptation. You've gotten stronger or maybe you've built some muscle, which has allowed you to get stronger. Uh, whatever it may be, you know, you are now able to push that same load for the same number of reps with a a a lowered fatigue cost, right? Mm. It's easier for you to do that. And so that's a thumbs up for me. And that means we can now probably add five kilos to the bar to try and progress the stimulus, but it's happened naturally. And it's not a sign of no progression. Some people will think, oh, well, it's the same number of reps with the same load. Well, yes, it is. But we have to understand that our proximity to failure is a little bit different, and we have still experienced some adaptation, which just now means we have, I guess, the license to add five kilos to the bar, and we're not forcing ourselves to do that, right? We need to do that to then take steps further. Love it. All right. A couple of questions to finish off with, Martin. You're obviously a mentor out there for plenty of people that, that want mm -hmm. to build muscle, whether it's personal trainers, whether it's athletes, whether it's, it's general public. I'm curious to hear who your biggest mentors have been, or even if you just want to give some suggestions for the listeners to follow in a few, no, if you can answer it in a few different ways, if you could okay. give us like a paid course that you've, or yeah, let's say a paid course that you've taken and you're like, wow, you know, I've learned mm -hmm. so much about muscle building or resistance training mm -hmm. from this. 
um, if you can give us maybe a free resource. So not a, a paid course that you've done, but someone or some people that you follow on Instagram, you listen to their podcasts mm-hmm. that give really good advice on the topic, uh, and then a book that you recommend every personal trainer should read if they want to get better at learning about hypertrophy. So paid, okay. unpaid, and book. Mm-hmm. Tricky question to answer. Um, and you I would plug say your own as well. you can plug your own as well. Yeah, you give it yeah, external yeah, yeah. and you can give mm-hmm. your own. Yeah, look, I've, I've completed so many courses over the years. Like I've, I've paid for a lot of courses, but I've also done a lot of self-learning. Um, and I'm, big, I'm a big proponent of, of learning from, you know, as many people as you can mm. and trying to tie things together um, with your own understanding of how things work. And I think the only way you can do that is via self-learning. So, mm. you know, I've read, although I've done many courses, I've also read many books, watched many YouTube videos, and I've tried to figure things out on my own. Mm. So I'm not sure if I can give one specific paid course off the top of my head, which has really, I guess, stood out to me. I think they've all been great and I've all been able, I've been able to take something away from all of them. I think when it comes to a mentor, uh, it's important, you know, if you're out there, like having a mentor can go a long way. And I I found that to be the case when I first started working at JPS. So working with, um, you know, the the director of JPS, Jacob Skepper. So he's mentored me for, you know, the last five years and we have a close partnership now uh, delivering courses together, et cetera. And all the other, you know, team members at JPS as well, um, whether they are managers or not, um, in a sense, we all mentor each other. And what I'm trying to say here is, it's so valuable to have a team of colleagues mm. that you respect and you want their opinions and you want their critiques and their criticisms. And you are all there just willing to learn and willing to progress and willing to change your minds, right? I think everyone at JPS is open for discussion. And if you think about it and you zoom out, we're all somewhat mentoring each other in our own unique ways. Um, so I, I can't really pinpoint any specific people. Um, my supervisors who helped me with my PhD, for example, are also great mentors in their own way. They're mentors in the sense that they are providing me with research training and they're helping me build this more clarified understanding of how research works. And so there's not one specific person that that stands out. I think I've learned from so many people and now I'm starting to see my role evolve as a mentor myself Uh but it works both ways. The people that I think I mentor, um, they might not know it, but they are also somewhat mentoring me just by having a discussion and allowing a, a, a space for productive discussion. So hopefully uh, listeners will take something away from that. And when it comes to books, you can see a whole bunch of books <laughs> on my bookshelf there. Uh, when it comes to muscle hypertrophy, if you're looking at if you're looking at learning about muscle hypertrophy and about exercise science in general, I think simply opening a textbook and reading chapters here and there can go a long way. You don't have to read a textbook from page one to the last page from start to finish. Read based on your interests and try not to shy away from reading because reading will help you better formulate ideas. It will help you think. That will help you speak. Um, and it's just a it's just a snowball effect from there, right? So reading has really been, I guess, the the cornerstone of of my learning because that's what's inspired a lot of my ideas my ideas have inspired my writing my writing has inspired my speaking etc so 
You can read books like The Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy by Brad Schoenfeld, but there's a whole host of other exercise physiology books as well that that you know people can look to read. And I've read a lot of non-fitness related content. So a lot of the books behind me are actually not related to fitness. Um, so for example, a great book by Robert Robert Sapolsky called Behave. It's a book that's about this thick, but if you can slowly commit to reading it, you will understand behavior. Uh, you'll understand psychology a lot more. And as, as a personal trainer, I don't think we, we simply can't dismiss the importance of, of understanding behavior. So even beyond muscle hypertrophy, um, I think there is so much more that personal trainers should be trying to learn. And stepping outside of the scope of fitness is not a bad thing. You might feel like you're missing out. You've got FOMO. You have to learn the newest thing that everyone is raving on about. But I urge people to be patient, to take their time, learn at their own pace, don't and don't think you have to know everything, right? Mm-hmm. Don't think you have to know everything about fitness. And if you venture out and learn some other concepts that can help improve the way you think, well, that's only going to translate to your ability to comprehend fitness-related topics and then distribute information one day to your clients or maybe to other coaches when you might be an educator, for example. Love it. In terms of JPS courses or your courses, Martin, or, or seminars that you've got coming up, if someone learns to, wants to learn more about this topic, what's the best of your own resource or courses mm-hmm. to, to go to? For sure. So we've recently developed our Science to Gym Floor courses. You can check them out on our website. You can Google search them. Um, they are basically a, a branch of courses from level one to level three that will allow you to better understand Um, topics related to training and fitness through a scientific lens, uh, whilst also ensuring that you understand how to practically apply all these concepts. So we delivered our first international science gym floor presentation earlier this year in Singapore, and we're looking to take it around Australia next year and and back to Singapore next year as well. Uh, And yeah, if you're here in Melbourne, then feel free to reach out. If not, these courses are also available online. So that's probably your best bet for JPS um, content. And of course we have a whole bunch of other education services and they're all on the website. Awesome. Well, Martin, that's all I wanted to get through today. Is there anything I should have asked you, but forgot to, or anything you want to finish us off with? No, Jono, I think that was great. I really enjoyed the discussion and hopefully listeners can take a lot away from it and, and practically apply it in their own training or in their clients training. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you for your time. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort. 
so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes, all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you or you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.